Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janet Christofaro and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Ducky. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children in Portland, Oregon. I'm Jana DeCristofero. After over 30 years of listening to the stories of grieving children, teens, and adults in our support groups, we wanted to find a way to share what we've learned from them with the larger community. This podcast is a way to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While we all experience loss during our lives, most of us find ourselves confused and unsure when it does occur. We don't know what to do, how to feel, or how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, this podcast is here to explore your questions about grief. Today, I'm joined by Rebecca Hobbs Lawrence, a longtime staff member at the Dougie Center, and we really wanted to dive into the question of what does it mean to be grieving when you've had a brother or a sister die? So often, we talk a lot about having a parent or a caregiver die, and we realized this was something that would be really important to talk more in depth about. So Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Can you talk a little bit about your role at the Dougie Center and your specific connection to kids who've had a brother or a sister die? I am one of the grief coordinators here for bereavement groups. And um, I have worked with siblings who have had, um, that are six to 12, that have had a brother or sister die for the last 10 years. And so they have taught me a lot about what it's like to grieve after a sibling's death. And we also have a group at the Dougie Center specifically for teenagers who have had a brother or a sister die. And that's something we started, I know, maybe about five years ago, because we realized that the teens were kind of all grouped together, parent, a caregiver, uh, a brother, a sister, or a close friend. And it seemed like it was really important for those teens to get together with one another and talk about kind of the unique aspects of having a sibling die. Absolutely. Um, their experience is very different than ha- those teens that have had a parent die. So I'd love to start off just, you know, from your perspective, what are some of the the top things that are happening for families when a, when a child dies, when they're dealing with the death of a brother or a sister? Yeah. When, when there is a death of a child in a family, I think um, it's really significant that the, the parents are generally all consumed by their grief of the loss of their child. And this, this intense grief that they're feeling really influences the entire family and the roles that each of them play in there. Um, parents have this assumption that they um, are going to die before their child, that their children are going to outlive them, you know, support them when they're older and, and be there till, the, till their life's end. And there's another assumption as parents that we are protectors of our children and that we will be there to keep them safe out of harm's way, um, make sure that accidents don't happen, that, that we will keep them healthy and well. And when those assumptions we have are shattered, then it really pulls us into ourselves as adults, as parents, and, and can really affect the way that we attend to our surviving children. So from the, the adults that you know who are grieving, you know, their child has died and they're still parenting other kids, what are some of the ways that you've heard people 
go into that process of this assumption I had. I just signed on for being a parent and I would, out, you know, my, my child would outlive me and that has changed and that has broken open in a really heartbreaking way. So what are some of the ways that that manifests for them? Well, often um, they just become unavailable to the other members of their family that they pull into themselves. You might find them, they don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to even sit at the dinner table with the rest of their family. They don't want to really talk about anything. They really don't know what to talk about anymore even. Um, and so that, that distance, that feeling kind of unattached um, to the rest of their family as they're pulling in and trying to kind of make sense of what has happened and to look at those assumptions again and to realize and come to terms with the fact that there is nothing that they could have done. Um, and so for the rest of the family, though, when this parent is no longer engaged with them, the children often feel left alone and isolated um, and often like they're fending for themselves in a way becoming little mini adults in the household, mm. often trying to take care of their parents now. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the opposite ever for parents who maybe, you know, there's that it sounded like you're almost creating, uh, talking about like a metabolizing process of you know, was it my fault? Was there something I could have mm -hmm. done? And they get to a place of like, there was nothing I could have done. Are there parents who go the opposite direction where they become more involved with their other kids? Um, often that can be the case too, that opposite um, reaction. And when that over-involvement happens, um, at least for children, it comes out as my parent is really overprotective now. They're all um, in my business. Exactly. Exactly. You know, that um, when I go out, it's not just a where are you going and what time you'll be home. It's I need to know every friend you're going to be with and what you're doing, what is your itinerary <laughs> and all of that. And so, you know, for younger children, it, it often isn't quite as noticeable. Um, they are feeling like they're getting a lot of attention then from their adult. But as um, children age and especially become teenagers, that, that overprotection piece of I'm so engaged in your life that it can feel stifling for teenagers. Like where's my space to be a teen? Exactly. And make my own mistakes and know that I can keep myself safe too. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to feel independent and, and capable as they're, you know, growing into young adulthood. Right. So if a family's had a child die, there can be this additional concern around any, anything that's perceived as a risk-taking behavior, even if that's like dropping a math class or quitting the lacrosse team or something like that. And that I know I've heard from teens yeah. in my group a lot of wanting just that freedom to be a teenager who's not going to get it perfect every time. Exactly. And, and depending on the cause of the death, of course, that will influence a parent's reaction and the ways that they choose to kind of over-engage with their children mm -hmm. as well. It's funny when um, the kids come to the Dougie Center for the first time, one of the questions I ask them is, you know, whose adult is more in their business now? And most of them say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say, well, how many of you are more in your adult's business since someone in your life has died? And they, oh, yeah, I guess I do that too. And so we have a sort of mutual understanding of 
there's care and concern and that's what's been activated. And right. this grief has occurred and there's fear that we're going to lose someone else. So helping kids understand maybe that's the motivation behind that behavior and helping adults understand that maybe that's what's going on for their kids too. Right. And I think it really is clear communication, open communication with children and adults to kind of come to that place of this is how I'm grieving and this is what it might look like to you. And this is what I need from you and to have that conversation so that that especially older children and teens can let adults know, too. These are the things that I'm doing as well. Mm -hmm. And I respect what you need. And this is what I need. Mm -hmm. Like we have to do a lot of diplomatic negotiating. Absolutely. So how, you know, for the kids who maybe parent caregiver is more withdrawn, not as emotionally available, maybe not as physically available, what are the things you see kids talking about together where they're like, oh, yeah, me too. That's going on for me and my family. Um, often they talk about that sense that they do have to fend for themselves. Often they are um, left to make some decisions for themselves um, when that parent is disengaged. Um, I think often what they do talk about, too, is that they don't, they don't measure up to the sibling who died. Um, when that parent becomes disengaged in that way, that all their attention is still consumed by the death of the child and their sibling, that they often compare themselves like, I'm not enough. Like, if I was enough, my parent could engage with me this way. Mm. And so they do a lot of sharing about that, of like what it means to, to not measure up, to feel like, a ghost, in a way, um, takes preference um, to a parent than someone here in the world, physical world, with them. Oh, so sort of the sense of the absence of my brother or my sister is taking more of my mom or my dad's attention than my actual self here now. Right. And so a lot of the kids that I hear when they're talking about it talk about um, the the ghost in the room mm. that... that um, has all the attention. And when the death was an illness, perhaps, um, a long-term illness, that can often get magnified. And the kids that have had that experience really do come together with a lot of commonalities because that child most often had a lot of attention because of medical procedures, needing to attend to them, often around the clock, um, especially towards the end of life. And then after the death when a lot of siblings may feel like, okay, now it's my turn. Mm. Now I will get my attention. You know, my sibling had it before they died, and now I'll get it because they're no longer here, that they find the opposite to be true. And so I had a couple of brothers who often talked about that they wondered when would it be their turn. And the other kids in the group that had that experience, it really resonated with them. Um, they often wanted to know, when is it my turn? When's How my turn? old will I be before it's my turn? Mm. Um, is there a magic birthday that happens? So it will be my turn. Um, Which is interesting with birthdays, because I know that's something I hear quite a bit with the teens in my groups who mm-hmm. have had a sibling die of, if it was an older sibling, right. when they reach that age. When they reach that age. I mean, and for, for kids and even for younger kids, you know, you think about old people dying, and even when it is a, a younger parent that has died in our other groups, um, it's still not the same experience, and that having a peer that has died, and your sibling is your peer, 
and you think that death doesn't happen to children. We have that another assumption in our world that death does not happen to children. And when a sibling dies, um, there is a huge sense of vulnerability because they now know it can happen to them. Mm -hmm. It can happen to anybody. It it happened to my family. Right. So it, may, it brings to mind of thinking of people who are in a role of supporting kids who are grieving a sibling to be very aware of all those elements that can go into kids feeling um, isolated and not like they can connect with their peers. So, you know, a child who's had a mom or a dad die already can feel different than their peers at school because um, that doesn't happen for everybody. Right. But then there's that added layer of now my own personal mortality and vulnerability getting really highlighted to me that my, my brother or sister has died. Are there things that you would suggest for uh, either adults who are parenting kids or who are in a support role specific to this element of having a sibling die? Like how can they be, what are some things that they could do to help kids with those elements of I have to fend for myself or when's it going to be my turn? You know, I think if parents can, I think start with supporting themselves so that they have their own support systems, places where they can go talk and share their experience um, and feel understood so that they can also then reach out to their children. You know, it, it really is a matter of for adults in the family to, to take care of themselves so that they can support their children. I think it's also important for children and teens to know that there's lots of other adults in their life who can support them as well. Um, and so that to really be able to listen and to be able to sit down with a child or a teenager that has had a sibling die and say, what is different for you now? How is this impacting you? Um, what has changed? Um, what do you miss about your sister? Um, because our siblings are are a unique relationship unlike no other. Mm -hmm. You know, friends are wonderful and we but your sibling is that person that is your first friend or foe. And we practice and sometimes uh, both at the same and time. And both at the same time exactly. I mean, our first social skills are often practiced with our siblings first, you know, um how do we fight um in an argument often takes place with our siblings first or and I'm an only child, so <laughs> this is why I never learned how to fight. I love hearing about, you know, the unique nature of, of siblings. And one of the things I hear a lot is that, you know, that was my co-historian. Right. So if my sibling dies, who's there to validate what my experience was as a child, as a teenager, growing up with these people who are our parents or our parents? Right, because no other person understands your life um, quite, as, quite like a sibling does. They are in the trenches with you. Right, you know, they have the same parents and they have that similar experience that you're living with. Although, you know, their perspective is different, um, but they understand more than anybody else what your life is like. And we believe that they're going to be with us. This is the one person or multiple siblings, but that's going to be with us throughout our life. People come and go in our lives, but we kind of have, again, have that assumption that a sibling will start our life with us or close to our, you know, with us and, and end with us. To be and part of those big developmental milestones. Big milestones happen. and the big choices you have to make in life and the, the people who come into our life and the losses that we have um, are all shared with our siblings. Yeah. I'm curious about the, the foe aspect. You said our first friend or our first yes. foe. and. 
I'm thinking specifically, do you have any suggestions for, for kids or teens or even young adults out there who have had a sibling die where maybe it wasn't always the, the best relationship and maybe that faux aspect of their connection took some precedence at times mm-hmm. um, and then a sibling dies? You know, there can be often um, some guilt around that as a sibling, um, kind of their life ends and not under the best of circumstances for, with the relationship. Uh, siblings may feel like they didn't do enough. They didn't reach out enough. Um, they always believe there's going to be more time, mm. you know. Right now, it's really bad, but when one of us changes, <laughs> and usually it's the other one. When the other one gets out of middle school, exactly, I know it'll be better. out of middle school, they'll change. Then they grow up a little bit, you know, that, um, that we'll be closer again. So we all feel like we always have this opportunity that we will be closer to them eventually when something shifts. And so when the death happens before that shift occurs and things are not in an ideal place as far as the relationship, there might be a guilt in a sense of like, I wish I had done something more now. And, and that is another thing that a lot of the kids do bond around is that, you know, we were really fighting really bad um, before that my, my brother died. Um, or I really should have been nicer to my sister. You know, would she still be alive if I had treated her differently? And so those kind of... Um, wonderings that we have when a sibling dies really need to be explored then with other people because it really does help when we can talk with somebody else who gets it. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. Like I had that same relationship with my brother too, or it was really strained. And I remember feeling that I should have done something different or um, I could have, you know, I could have been more understanding or I should have let him play with my toy, <laughs> you know. Well, it reminds me, I know there was one um, teen a few years ago in my group who, when the sibling died and they were, you know, this teen was getting older and feeling that loss of being able to bring their sibling into their life. And I know at the end of each school year, they would write a letter to the sibling who had died to kind of catch him up on everything that had happened and mm-hmm. share those special moments. So th- in a sense, they were creating that history together mm-hmm. with the memory of the person who died. And it, it makes me wonder for younger kids of that feeling maybe guilty. I didn't let them play with my toys or wasn't nice to them if on significant days or, you know, maybe there's a gift giving holiday that happens to go help pick out a gift that maybe they would have given mm-hmm. to the brother or sister mm-hmm. who died. And then maybe they get to play with it later. But Right. And give something to other kids. One of the things that I do with my um, kids that are younger that have had a sibling die is we talk about what did that sibling teach you Um, or what what did you teach your sibling? Mm. And it might be something like they taught me how to ride my bike or they taught me how to um, work on cars. That's been a big one. (laughs) And or it could have been they taught me a lot about patience or about because I had to be patient with humor, them. <laughs> exactly. You know, so it it might be um, not very non material things, but what what did you learn from them, or what did you teach them? And often from those um, lessons learned, that's where some of their rituals evolve from. So for a child that maybe. Um, they learned about cars, they'll take that knowledge of cars and they'll learn about it and they want to share it with other people. Um, they want to to give back in some way. For the kids who've learned about patience or about humor um, 
or just about, you know, some of the kids in my group talk, I really learned to listen from my sibling. And these are often littler siblings, like um, three, four, five years old often. And, but they talk about that even a small child can teach a lot mm-hmm. to them. And when they go to that place of, of what they learned, then they do want to teach others about it too. So it sounds like overall of really just acknowledging how close and connected the relationship can be. Because when a child dies in a family's life, a lot of the attention can go to the grieving parents, understandably. Right. But making sure we're also paying close attention to the brothers and the sisters and involving them in the conversation and honoring their relationship. And then inviting kids to find ways to carry on that relationship their relationship and I think that's important for adults to acknowledge that they had a different relationship and as a family they may choose something together to acknowledge that child but I think it's also important just as each sibling relationship is unique that they can also define how they want to in some way memorialize that relationship for themselves and with teens there may be some privacy involved in that and maybe they're not going to share right away with their parents what that thing is that they share right especially with their sibling. Right. And they may never share it. It might be something always that might be just very intimate to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one last thing that comes to mind is, uh, especially for people in the school community, mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of stories of, you know, if a sibling was uh, came first through that school, right. that there can be a lot of comparison of, or assumptions. Like, well, your brother wasn't very good at English, so I'm assuming you're not going to be good at English, You're not going to be either, right. Or, you know, your brother was amazing. He was the most kind, caring, charismatic person. That can put a lot of pressure on a teen coming into a new school setting to live up to that standard that was set by the the sibling who died. Right. And I, and it can go both ways, I think. Often it, it can seem like it's overwhelming to them that they're being compared to a sibling, either better or worse. <laughs> um, but sometimes it also feels good to them. Like, oh, this is a connection I have. Especially if they are good at math and the sibling was good at math. Mm. You know, they can feel good about that. Um, but it's really when it's highlighted that they have differences. One was better at something and now again, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Or they weren't good at math, but I am. Can't you see that? You right. know? And really trying to prove themselves then that they are not their sibling. So it can go both ways. I think in either way, though, siblings really strive to find their own identity as well and really want people to acknowledge that although they lost this very important person in their life that's significant in this relationship, that they are their own person as well. Right. So to see me for who I am and share your memories of my sibling because I want to know about them. But there's a fine line of crossing over into like, here's how you guys are similar and it's great. I love to see your smile because it brings your brother's smile to mind versus, you know, make sure you don't make the same mistakes that your right. brother made. Right. Share the stories, but know that I'm a different person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining us today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. You can, um, we'll put some show notes up. So uh, any of the suggestions that Rebecca made, you don't have to be scribbling furiously at home to take notes. We'll put those up there so you can refer to them. And we also have a tip sheet that we've designed that's specifically for adults who are trying to support grieving siblings. So we'll put a link to that up on the website as well. Great. But thank you again, Rebecca, for joining us today. 
You're welcome. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening in today. We'd love to be talking on this podcast about the things that mean the most to you. So if you have questions or comments or things you'd like to hear more about, send them our way at help at Dougie.org and just put podcasts somewhere in the subject line. Thanks for listening.